Good morning. I've been requested to go up here, so against, against my better judgment, I'm going to do it. Um, if, uh, if you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand, and we have some angels in the back of the room that are going to come around and put Bibles in your hands. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just pause right now, and we remind ourselves of why we're here. We are here because you have given us life. You have called us to walk with you, and uh, you are continually with us. Lord, you've given us your all, and we just want to respond today uh, by giving you our hearts and our affections in this place at this time. Lord, as we open your word, I just ask that you would be with us, that you would uh, speak your word to us. Lord, get, get, uh, get me just completely out of the way. Uh, your word is powerful. And we just rely on you to be in this place at this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, before, you know, there was a period in my life where I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a Christian, but I was, a, I was an adult. I was past the age of reason. I was thinking for myself. And um, I was making my own choices. I was living independently. And... Um, I remember thinking of Christianity during those days sort of as a, as a system of rules. I was on the outside looking in, and, and when I would think about Christianity, I would think rules. And I, really, I think that's for two primary reasons. One of which was I knew about the Ten Commandments. As a kid, um, I think we all probably heard of the Ten Commandments this list of very many thou shalt nots. In some ways, I think that may be one of the most, uh, for, for, especially in America, perhaps, one of the most identifiable attributes of Christianity for those that are not part of the church to look at and, and look at Christianity as a, as a set of rules. That was my testimony for a period of time. I, uh, I had some knowledge of these things, and, ha- and being raised Catholic uh, helped w- with that because uh, they were em- these rules were emphasized there along with um, certain uh, ceremony and ritual that was really exciting to me as a young person. I loved it. Um, as a man, though, as an adult, I found these things to somewhat be constraining. So... I thought of Christianity as sort of the Ten Commandments, a system of rules, not particularly attractive from that perspective. Plus, I knew some Christians, some people that identify themselves as Christians and told, told me they were Christians, and they had taken some very strong stands against certain behaviors, certain, uh, certain positions, cultural positions that they had taken as Christians. Um, they were not living the same life as me. And I'm talking right now loosely about the ages of, for me, 18 to 24, young men. These, uh, these Christians that I knew were not living the same life as me. Uh, they did not hold the same things to be uh, important to them uh, as I did, and I did not hold the same things to be important to me as they did. Um, from their standpoint, I suppose I, I was seen as, a, at best, an, an unregenerate, and at worst, um, a, a rebel against God. And from my standpoint, 
I saw them sort of as a bunch of prudes that were denying themselves of great fun. And uh, that's just an honest testimony. I remember it very well. I was okay with the difference between us. I, I wasn't particularly interested in living their lifestyle. Uh, and I don't know that they were particularly interested in mine. So there was this standoff between us that I didn't really recognize as a standoff. I just recognized it as a, as a decision, a set of decisions that I'd made. And um, I was just missing out on boredom, constraining rules and regulations. And, and I'd be wondering, I'm curious, anyone else have a similar experience as they came to the Lord as an adult? Did you have any thoughts that Christianity is really a lot of, a lot of rules and regulations? Anybody amen to that? So I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Sometimes I wonder, am I the only one that this happened to? So I think it's pretty common. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember, I remember after, not long after I got saved, uh, driving down the road with a guy that, that was working with me, and I'd been evangelizing him as best I knew how in my young faith. And, and, and he said something to me that I'll never forget. He was driving this, this big SUV, and we were going to build a house. And he looked over and he said, Todd, I don't want to be like you. That's what he said. said, really? Well, I mean, I can understand on some levels, but we're talking about Christianity here. He said, ah, you, you're not having any fun. You're not, no, I don't want to be like you. Leave me alone. That was, that was kind of tough. And we look around us today, I think in, from the standpoint of an unbeliever, we look around us today and we see that in many cases, Christians have identified themselves with certain behaviors. Right? I mean, we... Uh, we do radical things, like we quit smoking, we stop drinking, we, uh, we frown on R-rated movies, we, we often pull our kids out of public schools, um, we, we are sometimes Christians associated with certain voting patterns, we, uh, we identify ourselves or are identified by certain uh, social causes. Uh, we take our stand on things. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this. I think we, we certainly we are called to, to live lives that are, are, are different from the world. We're called not to walk as the rest of the world walks. Uh, uh, the, in Ephesians, we're taught not to, not to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Uh, we're told to have our minds renewed and to come out of the world and to not love the world. And so it's appropriate, I believe, to to be associated with some of these things. But I would caution us about having these things become our identity above and beyond what, what we're going to talk about today as the main content of, of our discussion. And I, I must say this, and uh, poor Kay, she, she's so patient. She, uh, she called me twice at least this week on my cell phone and said, what, you know, what is the verse, what is the topic that you're going to be speaking on, and I never, I never got the messages uh, in time, and I never called her back, and that's my fault, and so she got together with Tom Guthrie and said, well, let's just put this kind of, you know, this, this general verse on the front of the bulletin today, it's Mark 12:30. and God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I got this bulletin put in my hands today by John Wilmer out in the front, and I, and I said, oh, somebody got to Kay and told her what I was going to speak on. <laughs> Thank you. And I, so I went up to her. 
I went up to her and I said, Kay, who, uh, who told you the content of the message? She's like, I, nobody. I, I just figured this would apply to just about anything. So, but it really is, it really is truly uh, at, at the center of what we're going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> here's an amazing thing. God has called us to represent him on this earth. As Christians, we are to, re- we are to reflect God in our lives. Is that true? Okay. So my first response when I think about that, I think, God, what were you, what were you doing? What were you thinking? There's so many ways you could, you could reflect yourself better than I can. What were you thinking? And, I, and I, don't, I don't have an answer to that question. But other than say God is sovereign and, and he's, he's wise beyond wisdom. So, uh, but many scriptures teach us about this mission of ours to reflect Christ to the world. And I'm just going to go through a, a several of these. Um, and I will read from, I'll read them bit by bit here if you'll bear with me. So the first one is 2 Corinthians 5.18. So 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, <clears throat> Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us. I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has reconciled us to himself, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is a humbling thought. When I just take a step back and say, okay, God, it's like, you know, God, you really, you're giving this to me? You, you are the reconciler. But you're giving me this, this ministry of reconciliation? Wow. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Take heed to yourself. And to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Another, I, I see that verse as another uh, implication that God is working through us, and he's working not just through the doctrine that we profess, but he's working through our very lives. People are watching us live our lives. And th- this verse says that if I pay close attention, that I should pay close attention to myself and to the doctrine. And that if I do that, people are going to get saved. 1 Peter 3.15, very well-known verse. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who may ask you for the reason for the hope that you have. So we're supposed to, we're, we're supposed to live our lives kind of with our eyes opened to the people around us. And we're supposed to be expressing Christ to them. Ephesians 3.10 is one of, my, one of my favorite verses. It talks about what the church is all about. Not just us individually, but the church in general. Ephesians 3.10 says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So not only is there this individual 
uh, ministry that God has given us, this ministry of reconciliation and, and reflecting Christ to the world as people, individuals, in our day-to-day lives. But there's also a collective element to it as well, that the church is uh, charged with the same thing and designed for the same thing. And just one, one more verse here. And this is Second Corinthians, verse 5, 20. And this is really uh, another amazing verse. It says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Here we are. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, we are ambassadors. Now, think, think about that for a second. Have you ever thought of yourself as Christ's ambassador? Ambassadors. I think of ambassador. Okay, it's this Greek word, uh, presbio, which, which means representative. So, we are Christ's representative on earth. That's what the scripture tells us. Now, I looked up this word ambassador. And I'm going to read the definition because it's a pretty, pretty awesome definition. It says... Uh, this is from Webster's Dictionary. It says, an ambassador is an official envoy, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her government or sovereign, often appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. That's what an ambassador is. And, it, and that fits, doesn't it? I mean, it sort of fits with what we're talking about as ambassadors for Christ. So we are ambassadors of Christ. And it's not to say that, that you and I take the place of the Holy Spirit on this, on this planet. We don't do that. Paul said that he planted and Apollos watered, but who caused the growth? God. So we're not taking the place of God on this planet. We're not taking the place of, of the Holy Spirit, which brings conviction. But we are most definitely ambassadors of Jesus Christ, human representatives of him on this earth. And I think that our ambassadorship is designed not only for believers, but unbelievers. We have a ministry among and within ourselves, but we also have a ministry to the world around us that does not know Christ. So think about an ambassador for a second. Um, he leaves his home, or she goes to this foreign country, establishes a home base in a foreign land, and promotes the agenda of his or her home, home base. Right? If, you were, if you're an ambassador or an American ambassador to a foreign country, you would take an oath. You would actually take an oath. It's a pretty standard oath for federal employees. It says something along the lines of, I promise to uphold and defend and promote the Constitution, etc., etc. So if we are ambassadors of Christ... Have you ever thought about what is the central theme? Is there a central theme about what our, what our agenda, what our agenda of promoting Christ, reflecting him, ambassadoring for him should be in this earth? Um, and there, there are, so, you know, just to, just to circle back. For me as a young man, the, the, the ambassadorship that I was most familiar with was the Ten Commandments. And I was like, oh, that's rough. The Ten Commandments. This, and I'm not saying, certainly I'm not saying anything against the Ten Commandments. But what I'm saying is, 
That was, that was the partial story that I got as an unbeliever. So what are we to say? What are we to do as ambassadors of Christ? What is our message supposed to be to the world as we walk around as pilgrims in this place? There's a lot of really good connections to this concept of ambassadorship for us as Christians. We're pilgrims in this place. We know this is temporary. We've been given a message, given a ministry, and we are supposed to take this out and proclaim it and represent it and live it. Not just proclaim it, but live it. Right? So what is, what is well, we could, I mean, we could say, well, there's a lot that we could say it should be our message. We, we could talk about, you know, God, the creator of heaven and earth, and that's all true. And we could talk about the whole idea of human nature and sin and fallenness and redemption. We could certainly talk about the commandments and all of these things. And there's, I mean, there's a lot to choose from when you consider what our message to the world should be. And, and maybe there's seasons uh, where there are different aspects of that message that we represent. But Matthew, in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus kind of answers this question. He's, he's amidst a skeptical crowd. And he's just answered this question, but we're not going to read it, but he's just answered this question from the Sadducees, this religious sect that uh, it was known not to believe in the resurrection. And the Sadducees come to Jesus and they ask him this question about, it really has to do with the resurrection. They, they, they couch it in this, uh, this story, this bogus story about a, a man who gets married and he dies and what his wife gets passed along to brothers and they die. Who's, whose wife is she in the resurrection? The real question that they're asking Jesus is, you know, it, really, there's no resurrection, is there? And Jesus answers the question. But he goes on, and he has another question asked him by the Pharisees. And one of the Pharisees says, Master, this is Matthew 22, uh, 36. Right. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? It's an, it's an interesting exchange. He asks for a singular command. What's the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus answers with a two-part answer. He says, Jesus says, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Wow. I, if, if, it would be, if it had been me right there, I would say, okay. I can do that. That's an easy thing to say, right? I mean, it's, it's an easy thing to say. He's... Uh, isn't it? It's an easy thing to say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because God is, is remote to my existence. He's not in front of me. God is not um, irritating me. He is not thwarting my efforts to do certain things. He, uh, he doesn't, he's not my neighbor that owns a dog that bit one of my kids. Okay? He's uh, just being real. He's not the guy that cut me off on the interstate. He's not the person at work with me competing, uh, perhaps in some ways, with me for recognition or esteem. He's not um, the guy that I heard perhaps was talking about me behind my back or that is in some way out to get me. It's easy to say, I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
But Jesus adds this second part. And it's really, I think, um, his grand design to add it. It says, so this Pharisee asked him what the, what's his greatest commandment is. Jesus quotes this, this commandment, which is really Deuteronomy 6.5. It's a commandment that was it's an Old Testament commandment, love the Lord your God, right? And this other commandment is from Leviticus 19.18. But he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's a whole, that's a different story, isn't it? Loving the Lord your God, I mean, we could, there's all sorts of ways we can look at one another's life, and I, you could, you know, you say, well, there's a person that loves the Lord, who's God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. But Jesus didn't say to, the, to that question, he didn't answer that question by saying, the greatest commandment is thou shalt not do this or do that. He said the greatest commandment, and these, in these two parts that he gave, they're both calls to action. They're both calls to love. Right? So, with God being unseen, and with my neighbor being seen, with God being remote, and my neighbor being very much in my face, um, it's, it, it brings, it brings a, a, another set of conditions to this commandment. I'm called to, yes, love the Lord my God, but I'm also called to love my neighbor as myself, my neighbor who may break something that belongs to me or doesn't return my drill or or, you know, whatever, plays his music loudly in the parking lot and it makes me uncomfortable and I have these thoughts, right? (laughs) Guy who says the 90s is retro. (laughs) God doesn't try to hurt my family. So what do we do as Christians to try, you know, to try to live up to this commandment? God is so lovable, isn't he? He's so lovable. He's perfect. Who could not, who wouldn't love God? Who wouldn't love God? Who wouldn't love his neighbor? It's difficult sometimes. So, I want to look at, um, at this verse in 1 John. You don't have to go there. But 1 John puts it very forcefully. 1 John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Wow. That's, that's pretty harsh. Right? I learned from my mother when I was a little kid that, um, you know, I would say, well, I don't, I don't hate my brother. Certainly I don't hate my brother. I learned when I was little that hate, you know, when I would say somebody, I'd come in off the playground and say, hey, Johnny, you know, took the swing. I hate him. My mother would say, oh, Todd, Todd, you, don't, you cannot hate. You can really dislike, but you can't hate. When you hate, you cross some sort of magical line. And I remember learning that and thinking, okay, I don't hate him. I just, I just wish he was gone. I just, you know, I just, if I could put him in a suitcase and send him across the ocean, I would do that. Uh, I wouldn't hate my brother. So I have this kind of in the back of my mind, this, this idea of, of there being a, a, a gradation of, of negative emotions toward people, and at the top is hate. But there's a whole lot less than hate, and I kind of feel comfortable sometimes just, just living there. I'll live in the really don't like you. But the hate part, I'm not going to go there because I'm commanded not to do that. So loving my neighbor as myself is a different story. Now, I want to just put a, a caveat in here because 
there are some, and even some in the Christian world, that have taken this idea of, of loving our neighbor as ourself. They've, t- they've put a lot of focus on the as yourself part. And so you may go around and you may hear teachings, if you, if you dig for it, that somehow it's really, really important to love myself. And I can't love anyone else unless I really love myself. Right? And there's a, there's a very subtle, I think, danger there. I don't believe the Lord was talking about self-esteem when He's talking about loving yourself. I don't think He's talking about walking by a mirror and going, I look pretty good. I'm doing okay. I'm, I got a couple degrees maybe, or I'm, you know, this or that, or, or uh, you know, I'm okay with myself. I've got all these problems. But it's God just created me this way, and I'm just going to love myself just as I am because God made me this way, and from that, you know, if I don't do that, then I can't love anybody else. I don't, I don't believe that's what this scripture is teaching. So I'm, I'm not saying, and I hope you hear, I'm not advocating that in order to love others, we need to spend plenty of time in self-worship. Okay? Do you see the difference? It's uh, it being okay with yourself. I'm not okay with myself. The scripture tells me there's nothing good in me. The scripture tells me that, that there is no one righteous, not even one. So I don't want to fool myself for even one second in thinking that, that I'm lovable outside of, of the love of Christ and what he has done. He hasn't died on the cross to fix me and make me lovable. He's died on the cross to, to replace me. He gave me his life. It's been, a, it's been a, an exchange of life. And so, um, but it is interesting to think about how we love ourselves. I mean, it's, it is such a, a surreal concept. It's such a, a difficult concept that I, I, I had a hard time. When I sat down, I said, okay, how do I love myself? I'm going to share, how do I love myself? It's so second nature that it's hard to quantify how I love myself. Right? I, I protect myself from my foes, from foes, Right? So if a, if a yellow jacket, my wife will tell me I am absolutely a big sissy when it comes to yellow jackets. I would rather walk into a room filled with 100 rattlesnakes than walk into a room with a wasp in the window. And I'm just, I run around and I scream like a little girl and my wife comes in and kills the thing and I thank her. And, and I'm, not, I'm not even allergic to that. Just, they just weird me. But, so when I see a yellow jacket, I'm just like, it is like breakdancing gone bad. It's just like, whoa, you know, I'm all over the place. And, but it's second nature to me. It's not like I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to voluntarily love myself right now. It's just an act of self-preservation. Um, I, care, I care for, my, for my, uh, my needs, my physical needs. My head itches. I just scratch it. I don't, it's not, I don't think about it. I don't plan it out. I don't have to get a committee together to study. I'm going to love myself this way. I just do it. Right? When I'm hungry... I just eat. I just find something. Thank God that He's provided for me plenty, more, more an abundance, overabundance of food. But I just eat. I don't think about it. And all of these things indicate that I, I'm loving myself. I'm very much loving myself. I'm taking care of myself. I avoid pain on purpose. Maybe that's weird, but I do. I avoid pain. I don't want to be in pain. I like to be comfortable and to rest. I, I, uh, I drive carefully. I'm not reckless. Uh, all of these things are indicators that we love, that I love myself. I avoid danger. I look to the future and try to 
trying to you know, plan and, and, and be purposeful and intentional. And I, I'm compelled to say, I love myself with this deep and abiding love that has been manifested in my life since my earliest days of crying in the crib when I was hungry. Now think about that for a second. Think of, apply that to your life for a second. From our very earliest days, we reach out to the world around us crying for, to have our, our needs met. And by God's grace, our needs get met. Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now certainly we go, this love goes beyond just meeting physical needs. I want to talk just for a second about uh, the words that are used in the New Testament in particular to, as tra- are translated as love. There are really three main ones. There are four, but we'll just look at three main words. This is not a word study, but this is, this is just interesting and useful knowledge. There's philia, from where we get the word Philadelphia. You know Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. So uh, philia in Greek means brotherly love, just kind of the love between friends, your chums, your pals, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, whatever it is. Your friends are hanging out. You, you're exhibiting with them, and you, you feel good about being with them. That is philia. That is, that is just the love of brotherhood. Then there's, there's eros, which is the more intimate, passionate. It's not necessarily sexual, but it is intimate and passionate, emotional love. Uh, it, it connotes this deep desire, this deep longing, right? Eros, passionate about things. And then there's this higher order love, which is by far and away the most used reference uh, to love in the New Testament, and that is agape. Agape, love. And when Jesus said in Matthew 22 that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, that word there means it was the agape form of that word love. And this is what one theologian said about this word agape. And I, I, I thought I'd share this with you because uh, I appreciate it very much. It says, by far the commonest New Testament word, English teachers, is commonest the word? The most common? The most common New Testament words for love are the noun agape and the verb agapen. Philia is a lovely word, but it was definitely a word of warmth and closeness and affection. Agape, listen to this, agape has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It is a principle by which we deliberately live. Agape has supremely to do with the will. It is a conquest, a victory, an achievement. No one ever naturally loved his enemies. To love one's enemies is a conquest over all of our natural inclinations and emotions. This agape is, in fact, the power to love the unlovable, to love people whom we do not like, end quote. Now, I love that. I think it's accurate. So how did God demonstrate his, his love for us? If we look at his expression of love for us, it's a very active expression of love. Loving our neighbors as ourselves must also be an active thing, not a passive thing. Loving our neighbor as ourselves cannot be a passive or a love of, of acquiescence. We just wait around and kind of scan the horizon and maybe one day 
we'll have a deep enough relationship with one of our neighbors that we'll know of a need and maybe we'll be able to meet that need. I, I don't think, I don't think it's, that, it's that passive. It's not a love that waits for opportunity. I believe that it's a love that seeks out opportunities to manifest itself. As God did for us. In John 3.16, we all know. Don't say, you know, God so loved the world that He sent. He initiated this love. He initiated this action. His love was manifest toward us by His own will. Right? I believe our love toward our neighbors is supposed to be along the same vein as, as that love. Romans 5.8 says... Uh, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's this idea of God demonstrating his love for us by being active and by pursuing us, by being, uh, you know, not by being a passive, uh, a passive God. He's a very active God that chases us. And if we're supposed to love the Lord your God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourself, that same love, that same word, agape love, is the same love of John 3.16 as it is in love your neighbor. Those two words, God so loved the world, and you, you're supposed to love your neighbor, those two words are the, same, are the same word, agape love. So it's not just uh, this loving our neighbor is not just a seasonal thing. It's not, just, uh, it's not just a short-term mission trip. Those are great, awesome. Uh, it's not just a season of benevolence or a, or a one-time act of meeting a need. It is an ongoing, long-term thing. You know, John 13, 1 uh, is an amazing verse. It says, and this is just, just before uh, the Lord is betrayed, it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this love that we're supposed to demonstrate, I believe, should be a longitudinal, long-term love. It is, I'm not saying that it's an easy love. I'm not saying that, it's, uh, that you can learn it from a textbook. But I am saying that there's more to our loving our neighbors than just meeting emergent or daily needs. I mean, there, there has to be a, a long-time, sacrificial, selfless aspect to this that does not come naturally. We can only do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not something, I don't believe it's something that we can muster up. I'm going to just muster up. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. And I'm going to just go love somebody. Okay? You can do good things. You can do nice things. Uh, but we see even in Matthew where, where, you know, the two groups of people come before the Lord. And Jesus says to the one, depart from me. I never knew you. So unless we're doing these things in the name of the Lord by the power of God, I don't think we can claim it as the love of God. Now, a couple more verses. And this is really where this whole idea came. It's just the Lord just stirred up my heart. I was reading in James. I was reading in James because the youth group is about to start a study of the book of James. And so a couple of weeks ago I was reading in James. And, uh, you know, great book. 
Read it lots of times. And it gives this parable. And I'm going to read this parable. James says, and James, this, this is James, the brother of Jesus that wrote this, not the son of Zebedee. It says, James says this in chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. You, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It goes down to verse 8 in chapter 2 of the book of John, uh, James. And this is, what just, this is what really got me. I was reading that parable and I was thinking about, you know, do I do that? Do I, you know, do I show partiality as I'm, as I'm trying to be a good ambassador of Jesus Christ? I want to be a good ambassador of Jesus Christ. I know we want to be good ambassadors of Jesus Christ. But I think there's time for healthy self-reflection sometimes. And, and, and the, certainly under the lens of the scriptures. And so I was thinking about that and I came down to this little verse in James 2.8. which just kind of stopped me in my tracks for a minute and made me think about this and really where this was really started. It says in James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Now think about that, the royal law. That's kind of a neat description of this law, the royal law. So Jesus said in answer to the Pharisees, what's the most important commandment? And in that, he said, well, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Here, James refers to that same notion as the royal law of the Scriptures. If there's a, I want to follow the royal law. I mean, if there's a law to follow, the royal one's an important one to follow. You agree? So how do we do it? I'm still figuring that out. But there's this chapter in 1 Corinthians that kind of gives us some guidance. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which many of us know as the love chapter. That's the love chapter. And, and what strikes me about the love chapter is I've, I've often read it as, as what love is not. And kind of say, okay, what, what is that? You go down to the second half of the chapter and it says, uh, you know, Love uh, suffers long, and it's kind, verse 4. Love doesn't envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. And all these things that love is not. And for years, I've just kind of said, okay, I, I don't want to do these things because I, I want to be a good lover of the people around me, of my neighbors. So I'm going to avoid these. I'm going to avoid being puffed up. I'm going to avoid being, being impatient. I'm going to avoid uh, rejoicing in iniquity, verse 6. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to behave rude, rudely, right? All these things that we, that we hear and we read about in, in 1 Corinthians 13 about the things that love is not. But look at this first few verses of chapter 13. 
I don't think God's giving us a hierarchy of, of, uh, of, of manifestations of, of the Spirit in this chapter. He's, listen to this. Uh, would, would, we, uh, would you like to be able to speak with the tongues of angels? Would you like to understand the angels, how the angels communicate? I would. I would that would be awesome. To have all wisdom and knowledge. Would you like to have all wisdom and knowledge? Let's say, would you like to, verse 2, would you like to have the gift of prophecy? These are amazing gifts. Would you like to understand all mystery and all knowledge? Each time these things are mentioned, it says, if you don't have love first, they're worthless. That's, that's an amazing thing to think about. So, I could speak with the tongues of angels. That would be very impressive, I think. I think if I got up here and spoken some celestial language, but didn't have love, it would be worthless. If I uh, um, had the gift of prophecy and could speak it over all of you, or you could speak it over me, but we didn't have love, it says it's worthless. If I understood all mysteries and had all knowledge, and if I had enough faith to move mountains, but didn't have love, I'd be nothing. You know, we were just up at YDI. Some of the youth last week were up at YDI, and one of the speakers, you know, confessed. He's a great guy. He confessed sometimes he's, he's, YDI is in a very mountainous area, youth development and corporate, very mountainous area if you've ever been there. And so uh, Dave, the guy that is the, the head counselor over the, uh, the camp, confessed. He said, you know, sometimes I drive around to these mountains and I just pray, God, give me the faith. Just get out of the way. He just, could you imagine doing that? But it says if we had that kind of faith but didn't have love, for nothing. But no value. And verse 13 says, of chapter 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So I've, I, I wanted to highlight these scriptures to us today in this concept, not under this idea that, that I have somehow figured out how to do this. I think we're figuring out how to do it by God's grace. But I did want to ask you to think about how you demonstrate the love of God poured out in your lives to your neighbors. How do you love your neighbors as yourself? This is not a rhetorical question. This is something I think that would be healthy for all of us to consider. How are we, as the people of God, loving our neighbors as ourselves? Um, you know, from a very practical standpoint, I, I look through this bulletin and I see opportunities. I see that there's two helpers needed, for example, in the TNT classroom. Very practical expression. I think going and helping in the TNT classroom would be a very practical expression of loving our neighbor as ourselves. You're meeting all the needs of these little kids and doing these things. You're helping the other uh, adults that work there. There's two to three helpers needed in the, in the nursery. Uh, there's, so we can look at the bulletin and say, well, there's some needs here in the fellowship. If I step up and I, and I help with these needs, uh, that's, that's a great thing. I, I'll tell you this quick story. that When I was a new Christian, uh, brand new saved Christian, I was reading a bulletin just like this, and I saw that there was a second grade uh, Sunday school helper needed. 
I knew enough about little kids. I, I was the youngest in my family, so I didn't have any knowledge of little kids. They scared me. They always scared me. They still scare me. Uh, but I saw a second grade Sunday school helper needed, and I, so I went to the elder and I said, look, I think I, I, I think I need to do that. And he said, okay, well, go see Mrs. Bragg. Mrs. Bragg with this little lady, just an old, precious lady, probably in her early 80s. And I said, and I was just a roughneck, nasty person. And I went up to her in my flip-flops and cut-off shorts and said, Mrs. Bragg, I think I'm supposed to help you in second grade Sunday school. She said, okay, come next Sunday. You'll be my helper. And so for a year, I poured the Kool-Aid. I dispensed the animal crackers. I blew noses. I took kids to the bathroom. I tied shoes, all of these things. The Lord used that time in my life, my wife would tell you, to, to completely turn around my thoughts about, about who I was and what I should be doing. And really, ultimately, used that little act of obedience to change my life and, and move me into uh, education, which I, lo- I love kids, love young people. Um, and by the same token, you know, we, we have visitors here among us. We have, you know, I'm always, I always try, and I know many of us try to look out and seek out people around us. I remember the same era of my life as a new believer, I got saved and the guy, that, that uh, my roommate who led me to the Lord, told me, well, you've know, you got to go to church now. And I shared with you before, it was, I'd never been to a Protestant church in my whole life. So I said, well, what church should I go to? He said, well, you can't go wrong with the Baptist. I said, well, okay, I'll go to this little Baptist church. So in Blacksburg, I went to this tiny little Baptist church. And I, 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 was, uh, I rode a motorcycle and had long hair and all this stuff that did not look like a little country Baptist guy. Right? I had an earring hanging out. And, and, and I, remember, I remember going in and I'm thinking, oh, these people are not going to like me. This is, and I, you know, and I think, I think from people on the outside, they, they may see us Christians as people that are not very friendly sometimes. If we're more associated with social causes and, 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 uh, you know, and, and the Ten Commandments, I could see that. But I walked in there and, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I was nervous and I... Didn't know anybody at all. And by the time that service ended, there were three dinner invitations that I had. People that had come up to me and loved me and, and said, please, we'd love to, thank you for visiting. We would love to have you to our home to eat with us. And I remember riding my bike home that night crying, thinking, I was wrong. I was wrong about Christians. They're really nice. At least these people were. I'll never forget that. Um, you know, I look at, I look at this. And if you're not in, all of, these, all of these ideas are related to community. You know, we can't manifest love to our neighbor if we don't have any relationships with our neighbors, right? Both in the church and outside the church. So part of this, I believe, is a call to, to get involved with one another's lives. It is scary and difficult and thankless in some cases, and, and it hurts. It really hurts. But praise God, he... He's told us to do it. So we can put all the blame on him if things don't work out, right? We're just being obedient. I mean, look at these Bible studies. We had an elders meeting a couple weeks ago. And on the front of your bulletin, there's a ton of Bible studies. And we'd love to have more Bible studies. I know this. But if you're not involved in a weekly get-together with other believers outside of this meeting, I encourage you, find one that fits your schedule. There's one on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, two on Thursdays. Uh, two on Fridays. Um, find, find some way to get involved with each other's lives and we can learn together how to manifest and love one another as Christ has commanded us to love one another with the same love we love ourselves with. So I'll leave you with uh, 
with this idea of our, our own uh, ambassadorship to the world and to each other, ambassadors for Jesus Christ, with the charge being that to follow the royal law, to love one another as we love ourselves. And uh, I encourage you in that. Now, let me pray for us uh, as, as uh, these fellows come up and, and lead us in the closing hymn. Father, we uh, confess to you that, um, that this love, this supernatural love that you've called us to love with, uh, it doesn't come naturally. It's not easy. I pray, God, that, that uh, you would remove all of the excuses that we have, that I have, but I believe the enemy has just convinced me in a number of different ways of, of uh, why certain behaviors I have are, are just okay. Lord, you've called us to live and to demonstrate a radical, selfless, continual, abandoning love against all reason and even toward those that would do us harm. Lord, help us evaluate our, our, by your spirit by your truth, help us evaluate how to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Lord, help, help us to really walk in the way that you've called us to walk, considering the needs of others is more important than our own. And walking with lowliness and humility. Serving one another in love. And Lord, help us uh, here in this place to be uh, the manifestation of your love poured out in our lives. Lord, that speaks to our hearts. And we can't do it on our own. So we just humbly and faithfully ask you to move in our hearts and teach us these things. And we thank you for this day in Jesus' name.